0: So good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Great. Blessed. Yeah, amen. You guys like that sunshine out there? That was awesome. There we go. So what an amazing resurrection Sunday that we had last week, huh? Yes. I am incredibly grateful for such a special and awesome service, and it was an absolute blessing to see all of you and to celebrate the risen Savior last week. And I want to say a special thank you to everyone who had a hand in preparing for that day. There was a lot of little details that needed done here in the building, and it was so awesome to see everyone come together. And I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to leave people out, but you know who you are. And I just want to say a special thank you. It is so encouraging to see the family of God come together and work together for the glory of God. So thank you today we are beginning a brand new message series entitled live for him and in the four weeks prior to resurrection sunday we talked about all that jesus said and that he did that led to him dying on the cross for our sins it was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for all of mankind the debt that we could never repay because of our sin, Jesus paid in full with his very own blood. Without Jesus, reconciliation with God would not be possible. Without Jesus, there would be no truth, there'd be no way, and there'd be no life. His sacrifice to cover our sins was the single greatest act of true love the world has ever seen. It's the pinnacle of our faith. Everything we believe at, about Jesus rests upon his resurrection. So what should be our response to this? How should we be living our lives in light of his sacrifice? The Apostle Paul reveals the answer to these questions in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14-15. through If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now. It's the seventh book, right after Romans. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them here on the bookshelf. You can follow along on the screen, your mobile device, but I encourage you to follow along in the Word of God. So Paul says here, beginning in verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. These verses represent the theme for this entire message series, and we're going to read them together every week throughout this series. Paul says here, he says, Christ's love is what compels us. In other words, the driving force in our lives should be Christ's love. This should be what motivates us. This should be what encourages us. This should be what guides us. Every thought and every action should stem from this love. Christ's love is perfect, and he proved this love by sacrificing himself for you and I. And if we call ourselves Christians, if we've given our lives to him as the Bible so clearly tells us to do, then we are not to live for ourselves. We are to live for him. Living for ourselves is exactly what Jesus came and died to save us from. Building our lives around ourselves and what satisfies us is an empty way to live. And yet it is, it is exactly what this world caters to. Get all you can while you can because it's all about you. But that's a lie from Satan. Because the fact is, life is not all about you. It's all about Jesus. He died for you. And the real question is, will you live for him? This new series will help us all understand what it means to truly live for him. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here. We ask Jesus that you would speak right into our hearts, Lord. Teach us the word of God so that we may give ourselves completely to you and live for you from this day forward and for every day. That your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So to live for him simply means we've got to give up everything for him. That's what it truly means. It's when we yield ownership or control over what we consider ours, our stuff, our time, our rights, our self. And the word which best describes this giving up is surrender. That's the word. Surrender is like you and I writing a blank check to God. And we're saying, all that I am, all that I have, and all that I hope for, I now offer to you. Everything I am, everything I have, and everything that I hope for, I now give completely and totally to you. I hold nothing back. There are no restrictions. There are no carve-outs. Everything I surrender to you. That's what it means to truly live for him. Through surrender, we go from serving sin to now serving Jesus. We lay down our own plans, and we start following His plans for our lives. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. He says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Give yourselves completely to God. This is a picture of surrender. And the motivation behind why to do this has nothing to do with what we will gain. All too often, we look at things by what we can get. What's in it for me? How will I benefit? It's a selfish perspective that often motivates us. And we will even try to spiritualize this selfishness at times. We'll try to do that to try to make it sound better. We may think, okay, if I surrender to Jesus, I'm going to get forgiveness of my sin. I'm going to have God come into my life and help me clean up my life. Oh, and I'm going to get a ticket to heaven. That all sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds like a good deal. But these are the result of being made right with God. But they should not be our true motivation for surrender. Our true motivation for for surrender should be God himself. We don't pursue him for what we can get. We pursue him for who he is. Following Jesus is not about getting. It's all about giving. You can put that in your blank. It is all about giving. And it begins with giving ourselves completely to him and his purpose for our lives. We just talked about our ultimate purpose for our lives just a few weeks ago. And we'll say, we see it right here again at the very end of this text. What we say and what we do in this life is all about bringing glory to God. Paul said, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Notice he didn't say, use your whole body to please yourself. He didn't say, use your whole body in whatever makes you happy. No, he said, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Does what you do with your body bring glory to God, or does it bring glory to you? Whose glory are we really contributing to? Because when we live for him, we are totally surrendered to him in everything. And this surrender should bring glory to him. And if we really step back and think about it, he deserves all the glory anyway. If it were not for his mercy, we would all be doomed to spiritual death, destined to live an eternity in hell apart from him forever. But because of his great mercy, we have the opportunity to overcome death and be fully reconciled with God but this mercy demands a response. And the only reasonable response to this mercy is to live for him completely. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I plead with you. In the King James, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The true way to worship God is by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our only reasonable response to God's mercy. We become a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to atone for sin by an unblemished animal over and over and over again. But this could never truly take care of sin until Jesus shed his own blood as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. His ultimate sacrifice on the cross did away with the entire system of the old covenant. Now under the new covenant established by the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice was sufficient for all time, for all sin and for all people. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins of all the world. Let that sink in a minute. His sacrifice was sufficient for all sin, for all people, for all time. But the fact is, you and I deserve death because of our sins. And yet God loved us so much That he showed us his great mercy through his son's total surrender to his will to make a way for us to be fully reconciled from our sin for all eternity. That's what makes his sacrifice the most amazing, magnificent, and glorious act of mercy the world has ever seen. Jesus surrendered his will completely to the will of his father in heaven by laying down his life as the greatest sacrifice of all time completely satisfying all the requirements of the old testament law including payment for sin for all time and for all people but don't think for a minute that this sacrifice was easy it was anything but easy when jesus was in the garden of gethsemane just before he was betrayed beaten and crucified he prayed fervently to his father in heaven he prayed so strongly and he was in such anguish over what he was about to suffer that he was sweating drops of blood. And three times, not just, not just one time, right? It was three times that he prayed, and here's what he said. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but your will be done. It was at this moment that he surrendered himself completely to the will of his Father. And this surrender to his Father's will led him to sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. Not only does this sacrifice provide a way for us to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, it also shows us the great cost that God incurred for us to have salvation. But God endured this cost because of his great love and because of his great mercy. Jesus died for all of us. Therefore, we should all live for him. That's our only reasonable response. We live for him by being a living sacrifice. And what this means is, is that we stop trying to satisfy our own selfish desires. And we now live to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. Now, many people, they hate making sacrifices because it costs them something or because it's too painful. So they want an easy way out. They want to get something, without sacrificing anything. If you're taking notes, you can put that in your blank. They want to get something without sacrificing anything. But the Bible tells us that our whole lives should be a sacrifice. In fact, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. He said, "If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Denying ourselves and taking up our cross means we are to die to our own selfish desires and we are to live for him and his purposes. And this is a daily decision. This is not a one and done kind of a decision. Every single day we have a choice to make. Live for me or live for him? And when we live for him, we must sacrifice our entire lives to him. All that we are and all that we have should go to him. The more we offer ourselves to him, the less we offer ourselves to sin. Do you catch that? The more you offer yourself to him, the less you'll offer yourself to sin. That's what it comes down to. We either offer ourselves completely to him or we offer ourselves to sin. There is no other choice. We can't straddle the fence when it comes to who or what we worship. It's either Jesus or self. But this is all foolishness to the world because the world is all about worshiping self. The world has no idea what Jesus means here in verses 24 through 25 where it says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? In order to save our lives, we have to give them up by placing our complete faith and trust in Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior. That is the only way to save your life. Anything else will cause you to lose your life. And it doesn't matter if we had all the money and possessions in the world because they could never buy us the freedom that we have solely in Jesus. So to save our lives, we have to lose our lives, which means we surrender them completely to the lordship of Jesus. He becomes our king. He becomes our lord. He becomes our savior. And then we live for him as a living sacrifice. And the only way for us to begin this journey of becoming a living sacrifice is by accepting God's gift of salvation through our faith in Jesus. And this isn't something that we should ever do without fully understanding the cost. There is no spiritual calculator that we need to use to come up with this cost. We don't need an itemized listing of every expense we're going to incur either because the truth is it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything your entire life Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that there isn't a cost of following jesus As if you could just tack on being a christian to whatever you are right now or however you're living Or as if you could just simply obtain your heavens club membership card And reap all the benefits without actually enduring any sort of cost Listen, it's not fire insurance to keep us from hell It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card so that you can live your life however you want to. No, the cost is complete and total surrender of our lives to Jesus. That is the true cost. We can never forget this. To save you, Jesus gave it all for you. What will you give for him? He sacrificed his life for you. What will you sacrifice for him? Could it be your time? How much time are you spending serving Him and His purposes? How much time are you spending growing in Him? Could it be your talents? What are you doing with what God gave you to benefit His kingdom? Now, I know these are tough questions. But if you have breath in your lungs, then you have purpose. But whose purpose are you serving? His or yours? Some of you are so busy with your own desires and your own dreams that you've not really stopped to consider what is truly important. His word says we are to seek the kingdom of God above all else. Did you know that? That's Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. You know the rest of that verse? seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Everything. There is nothing more important than his kingdom. But some of you are so caught up in being a consumer of the kingdom of God that you're not really thinking about being a contributor to the kingdom of God. Who are you discipling? Who are you sharing the love of Jesus with? Does the, life that you act, does the life that you live actually reflect what you say you believe? And are you busy building your kingdom? Or are you building his kingdom? His word says the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. Could it be that you're the worker that needs to join the effort at furthering the kingdom of God? It doesn't have to be some major effort like going on a mission trip overseas. It doesn't have to be that. It can be as simple as serving in the nursery or helping cleaning up this building every week before service. It could be something as simple as that. There are plenty of areas to get plugged in and serve. Believe me. I just want you to consider, how are you contributing to the kingdom of God? Because true followers of Christ are contributors more than they are consumers. Jesus died for you. How will you live for him? Some of you may be holding on to things that you've not sacrificed to the Lord. Following him demands total surrender. So what is keeping you from that today? What are you holding on to today? What secret sin are you carrying that you've not put under the blood of Jesus for healing and for forgiveness? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. What is holding you back from turning away from your sin? Could it be some sort of sexual sin? Are you caught up in pornography where the enemy is continuing to deceive you into thinking that it's okay, you're not harming anyone because it's your secret? No one needs to know. And you're not actually acting anything out, so what's the harm? That's a lie. The Bible is clear that lust and what we think in our mind is just as sinful as the physical sexual acts themselves. Don't be deceived the Bible is full of warnings about what we see with our eyes and what we allow our minds to focus on. Maybe your struggle has to do with fornication, where you're not married, but you're engaging in sexual activity, which is just another form of sexual sin. Don't buy into the lie that it's okay because you're going to get married eventually. Don't buy that lie. If you're not honoring God with your bodies now, how do you expect God to bless you in your marriage, if and when it happens. Disobedience doesn't please God. It grieves Him. So repent, turn away from your sexual sin, and surrender completely to Him. Or maybe, maybe you're married, but you're engaging in sexual activity outside the boundaries of your marriage with someone who is not your spouse. Whatever the sexual sin, you're not only harming yourself, you're harming all those around you who love you. The Apostle Paul addressed sexual sin very bluntly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said this, beginning in verse 18. He said, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, sexual immorality is a broad term. It's basically any sexual activity, whether in the mind or in action, outside the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman. As Christ followers, we shouldn't have anything to do with sexual sin, whether it's in the mind or whether it's physical acts. All of it is an offense against your own body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you've received him as Lord and Savior. God purchased your freedom at a high price. Therefore, you must honor God with your body. In other words, you should bring glory to God with what you do with your body being a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God as we've already covered today from Romans chapter 12 verse 1 does not mean we can engage in any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. We really need to ask ourselves every time we watch something with our eyes or we do something with our bodies is it bringing glory to God? Is it really because we were purchased at a high price. Peter tells us just how high a price this is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The blood of Jesus is the high price that God paid for you and I. Should we trample all over this with what we do with our bodies? Because when we willfully and we habitually engage in sin of any kind, that's exactly what we're doing. We are trampling all over the Son of God as if His sacrifice didn't mean anything now and while we've been focusing here for a bit on sexual sin really and truly any sin any sin sexual or otherwise that we keep on doing after we know better is extremely dangerous how dangerous is it well let me just let the word of god speak for itself hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 26 it says dear friends if we deliberately continue sinning After we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This text is an incredibly sobering warning for all of us who call ourselves Christians. Because if we're living in willful and habitual sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth, then we are trampling all over the Son of God and we are treating His sacrifice for our sins as if it didn't mean anything. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son as the perfect sacrifice for your sins. His son Jesus surrendered himself completely to God, his father, and he went to the cross completely innocent. He never sinned. He was tempted just like you and I, yet he never sinned. And so he gave up everything. He gave it all up to God by sacrificing his life on the cross for our sins. And when he died, he was buried in the tomb, and three days later, he rose up out of the grave, securing the victory over death, forever and securing a way for you and i to be saved his blood was the high cost that he paid for you and i that's the truth but what does the truth mean to you does it mean that we should go on living however we want to wallowing around in our own sins or does it bring conviction of our sins? Will we recognize that the temporary happiness the world offers will never satisfy like the lasting holiness that comes from a relationship with Jesus? Again, we come right back to the decision that we all must make every day. Am I going to choose to live for me or am I going to live for him? It's always a choice. Living for me is easy that just comes naturally and it's exactly what the enemy wants us to choose and it's also all that this world is set up to support and as enticing of a choice as this is it's really a choice to choose death because that's where it leads living for him is hard and it requires complete and total surrender it will also lead to persecution you can count on that That's a message for another day. I'll leave it there. Making the choice to live for him is worth it because it is the only choice that leads to life. So when you truly choose to live for Him, you crucify the passions and the desires of your old life. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So we now live by faith. And that faith is what drives us to follow Christ. We put to death anything that would hinder our walk with Him. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that we've already covered today, when He said that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. In other words, we choose to live for Him and not for me every day. And the power we have to make this choice is the power that Jesus gives us through His resurrection. Remember, He said, I am the resurrection and the life in other words the resurrection is not about an event it's about a person and that person is jesus christ if we put our faith and our trust completely in him then we no longer are alone his holy spirit now lives on the inside of us and we not only have the power for living right now, we have a living hope for the future of when he will come again and he will give us all that he has promised. So what do we do until then? How do we live until then? Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what he says. This answers that question of what do we do until then? So get rid of all evil behavior be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So one thing we do until Jesus returns is we get rid of all evil behavior. We purge sin from our lives. And then we need to focus on growing up. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are born again. And that means we are now spiritual babies that need spiritual milk, which is the Word of God. Some of you are drinking spiritual milk right now, and that's okay. As you grow, you're going to actually transition to spiritual meat. Hebrews talks about that. It's really good. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. And it's good stuff. That's the mission of this church, man. It's to get you to grow up in the Lord. We want you to mature. So no matter where you are at right now, it's okay. You can grow from here. And that's what we want to do with you. That's what Tuesdays are all about, man. It's discipling you to grow in the Lord. So how hungry are you for the Word of God? I wonder. How hungry are you? Next week, we're going to talk about that. Peter continues in verse 4. He says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. If you are a Christ follower, then you are a living stone. Through your faith, God has pulled you out of the rock quarry of sin, and he's placed you as a living stone as part of his spiritual temple, which is his church. And the cement that holds all of us as living stones together is his grace. Everyone who trusts in Jesus are living stones that form his church. Not just this church. All the churches that's what we're talking about here. Any church that professes Jesus is Lord and teaches the Bible, the whole Bible is truth. That's what we're talking about here. All of us collectively are those stones that build that church. And not only that, we are also his holy priests, as his word says in verse 5. Holy priest. You ever thought of yourself as a holy priest? This word is truth so I wonder how are you living your life what's your speech like what are your actions like do they look like a priest now because of what Jesus did on the cross we no longer need a high priest to get to God I talked about that last week because when Jesus died on the cross that curtain was split in two all the way down that separated right the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, which symbolized God's presence, you and I now, as holy priests ourselves, because of what Jesus did, can now engage God directly. We don't need a mediator anymore. We don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. All you need is to be able to connect directly with God through the Holy Spirit. That's it. Isn't that awesome? We have direct access now because Jesus is our high priest. Now, we offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, the Word said. As we said today, we're not only living stones, but our bodies should be a living sacrifice that are holy and pleasing to Him. Our speech, our bodies, our actions, everything should be a sacrifice that pleases Him. Does what you say and do in this life reflect you doing just that, being that holy priest, being that living sacrifice? It's a sobering question to consider. Verse 6 says, As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. For this great church that God is building... God has chosen Jesus as his chief cornerstone. He is the solid rock that the entire church is built upon. This is exactly why we have this plaque hanging on the rock right outside of our church out front. It's a constant reminder of what our foundation for our church is built upon. None other than Jesus Christ himself. That's the foundation. If you trust him, you will never be disgraced. If you reject him, you will stumble, and then you will eventually fall. And what a devastating fall it will be. Is Jesus the rock you trust in, or is he the stone that you stumble over? Who are you really living for? You or him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. It's not always easy to hear but it's still the truth. And I pray right now, Jesus, if there's someone here who is struggling in something that was covered today, whatever that sin is, whatever that thing that is holding them back from total surrender, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would bring that to the surface of their mind, that they make that right with you today. And they just give it to you. Stop holding on to it. Give it to him. And let him help you through it. I pray right now, Jesus, that strongholds are broken today. I pray that freedom is seen in you today because of what you've done for us. I pray today, Lord, if there's someone who's never made the decision to follow you, that today would be that day. That they would not leave here until they get right with you. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Lord God, move in all of our hearts today. Jesus, help us to walk as you walked. Help us to walk totally surrendered unto you. And let the sacrifices that we make in our everyday lives be a choice that we choose that reflects glory upon your name. Not glory to us, glory to you. That's our purpose, to bring you glory. And I pray, Father, that you would help us I thank you that you've given us the great helper, the Holy Spirit, so that we can walk out the truths of your word. We know that your word is true, Father. It says that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to walk around with our heads in shame over what we've done in our past because your word is true. If we've crucified those things on the cross because of what you've done by putting our trust and faith in you, we know, Lord, that we've got freedom in you. Your word tells us that if we'll just confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank you for that. Thank you, God, that your mercies are fresh every morning, Lord. There is great mercy in you. So I pray today, Jesus, that you'd move in our hearts, do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So if you're here and you need prayer, if there's something that you need dealt with today and you want to come forward, I'll be here to pray with you. I'd love to do that. If you're not sure of your salvation or if you die tonight where you would go, I encourage you to come forward. Let me help you with that too. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great week.